Hello everyone and welcome to Play Crush. It's Joe Murphy here. We have a great episode this week with one of my favourite human beings on the planet, Isabel Waller-Bridge. Izzo is a composer and sound designer, probably best known for her soundtrack of mega-hit Fleabag, but that's just the tip of the iceberg of Izzo's extraordinary career. She's written music for TV, film, theatre and the concert hall, with credits ranging from Black Mirror to ITV's 2018 adaptation of Vanity Fair. She writes contemporary classical music with the same fluency that she brings to jazz and electronica. As the Financial Times said of her work... Compare her techno-style soundtrack for the old Vic's Wojtek with her neo-Renaissance Kyrie in the second series of Fleabag, a flamboyant crossbreed of Pergolosi and Karl Orff, and you'd be astonished that they came from the same person. I couldn't agree more. Though I think Izzo would agree that her career highlight was writing the theme tune for the Playcrush podcast. Right, Izzo? Izzo is so talented, smart, funny and creative, so it was such a pleasure to sit down and talk through her meteoric rise and her thoughts on theatre, music and everything else. Izzo's play crush was Wojtek by Georg Buchner, adapted by Jack Thorne. The multi-award winning Jack Thorne, This Is England, Let the Right One In, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, breathed new life into Wojtek, one of the most extraordinary plays ever written. It's 1980s Berlin. The Cold War rages and the world sits on a crossroads between capitalism and communism. On the border between East and West, a young soldier and the love of his life are desperately trying to build a better future for their child. But the cost of escaping poverty is high in this searing tale of the people society leaves behind. Buchner, who wrote the original, probably began writing the play between June and September 1836. It's loosely based on the true story of Johann Christian Wojtek a Leipzig wigmaker who later became a soldier. In 1821, Wojtek, in a fit of jealousy, murdered Christian Wust, a widow with whom he'd been living. He was later publicly beheaded. Buchner's work remained in a fragmentary state at the time of his early death in 1837. He was only 23 years old. It's often described as the first working-class tragedy. Izzo actually worked on this production with me at the Old Vic, and it was a real pleasure to revisit it and get to talk about it with her again. So, without further ado, here is Isabel Wallerbridge with Wojtek. Hello, Izzo. Hi, Joe. How are you? How are you? Oh, we're so polite, so British. <laughs> <laughs> I am fine. More importantly, how are you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I'm all right. I am in my studio. Um, where the magic happens. Where the magic happens, yeah. It's sort of nearly there. I kind of, I was trying to sort of build it over the last sort of three months and it got sort of paused in lockdown and now everything's sort of come back to life. So it's exciting. Oh, it's nice. There. Yeah. Well, I mean, talk to us. What What is, like, what for you, what's the studio? Like, what have you got in front of you? What's the kit you need? How, how does it work for you? Well, I've got, well, I've got, uh, the most exciting bit of it is I got my, um, my have a baby grand and that was in, storage for about seven years because I didn't have anywhere that I've been living in there was no space for it and so I took that out of storage and that is on my left by the window and um so I can and I'm on the second floor so I can I've got a lovely view which is good Um, and then I've got screens sort of everywhere for the the (laughs) and uh yeah and a sofa and lots of lamps it's oh, just very nice. A dark room when I'm writing. Now, so. Izzo, um, back in the day when I was fortunate to last work with you, which must be a couple of years ago now, um, yeah. this does not sound like the studio I sat in. 
um have you have you upgraded a bit since then i have upgraded oh my goodness that studio i think of that studio with great fondness most like so much music was written in that studio <laughs> but it was uh we it was squashed for the both of us it was tiny wasn't it it was also windowless it was uh, it was literally, you couldn't do, I mean, it was, uh, it was basically, there was enough room for a chair. Someone actually, I did a project and someone came in, it was a director that came in and had to sit on the floor for the entire time. So, <laughs> so yeah, this is, this is better now. <laughs> you've, got, better. You, you've got Studio 2.0 and I like that. Yeah, 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 which is actually, it's a, just a bit of space, which is good. But I do, I was grateful for that, for that little, for that little studio. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, it was a sort of airless, terrifying box room. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, and for the claustrophobic amongst us, it was punchy. Um, yeah, it was, goodness, there was, there was. Yeah, not having any natural light, I realised, is a real is a is a big is a big thing. I actually had to leave that studio because I think I had some sort of PTSD from not having any natural light. It was sort of really intense. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so so things are better now. And um, yeah, I mean, I also remember that studio with great fondness um, and it felt like you could be very creative there, but you did often emerge very pale from it as well. As if you'd Yeah, I think there were skin problems that happened when I was in that studio, <laughs> no light. Yeah, it was sort of vampiric existence, uh, <laughs> I think, there. But it was, um, yeah, it was crazy. And also because I was doing so much, I was juggling so much over the kind of two, maybe three years that I was in that room that I was sort of, like doing those things, you know, when you kind of work for four hours and then sleep for two and work for four and sleep for two and just doing that sort of round the clock for sometimes just weeks and weeks. And yeah, I don't know who's in there now, actually. I feel that studio holds a lot of energy. So I don't know who's sort of taking over it. They can't can't figure out why they can't sleep more than two hours a night now. I don't understand. And and as uh, the brilliant... um, composer that you are um is it a, a space is important you know I just wonder like the, the the rooms that you're in where you go to create your stuff does that like does it have an impact on your creativity and has like moving for example changed things up at all yeah massively space is everything I think because it's funny because I'm really weird about who I let into the studio as well because I've had some experiences where I've let someone in and they've sort of change the energy of the of the room and then I've had to kind of air the room for about a week just to let that out or sort of like I don't know it's not not quite I couldn't have burnt any sage in the last place but it was that sort of feeling so I kind of I'm really really protective over it and and yeah and it's taken me ages to get this this room right um and everything about I think I'm just you know I'm I like symmetry and um kind of the colors are really important and it does, it really, really impacts because it's got to be, because I really, I sort of, I live in my studio and I sort of sleep at home, but I, I do spend kind of 10 hour days in here. So it's got to be a place that I really feel safe in and want to come to and, and you know, that it's got, it's, and, and that I know that it's totally private. So, so yeah, so no, it's really, really important. It's more important than my house. <laughs> with, I mean, yeah. It is my house. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel I feel very privileged to have been let in. Yeah, I, I know. I can't wait for you to come to this one. Oh yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll bang out a few tunes on the grand piano, the baby grand yeah. toy. <laughs> and that's God. interesting because in your last one, again, you only had 
um, only. I mean, it's a serious piece of kit, but it was like the the sort of um, electronic keyboard. And is there something also about having, you know, the slightly more analog version there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Having because because the piano is my instrument, and why I sort of got into writing music, um, and it is my sort of it is my dearest and longest you know relationship that I've had it's a dear friends and so the music that I write on the actual on the real piano is different to what I write on a on electric you know on a on a keyboard but that's also I think because you know you have the natural harmonics on the piano and it sort of gives you lots of different sort of ideas and um it's not as quick I think I'm much slower I think when I'm writing on the piano but I think the ideas are better and I've got sort of lots more I mean it really was so minimal that other studio which I also do quite like I don't like too much sort of technical things they can get in the way sometimes they can be really inspiring um because you know once you sort of turn run everything through if you've got an idea and then just run it through loads of pedals and things like that that can be really triggering in a good way for for sort of different for your imagination but I think um too much too much kind of nonsense can sometimes be a really good way of me procrastinating. <laughs> so I, I have to be quite controlled about the number of things that I have around me. But I've got a bit, I've had some fun this time. I've got some good, like cool bits. Nice. Like dreams. Yeah, it's good. I've got a lot of plants here. Oh, nice. So you've got some, some sort of nature in there as well. Yeah, things to keep alive. <laughs> <laughs> so important so important especially spending 10 hour days in there i mean that's you know and and is that that's regular is it that 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 kind of length of day for you for when you're in like creating mode yeah when it's in like i've tried to change the way i work i'm like deeply 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 trying to change it because i'm an i'm really i work better at night and i i can't it's so annoying because i wish (laughs) i was sort of i because i'm quite an early riser these days and but i still really I come and I sort of I come into the studio and I'm sort of you know I just I don't know what I do and then until it's not until like four o'clock that I really start writing properly (laughs) yeah and then I and then I go until you know midnight or something and it's very frustrating but I am trying to I don't know what it is whether it's a discipline I think it's just my brain prefers the there's something about the evening that is really wonderful because it does become like stolen time mm. and you are re- it is really private and no one's going to call you you know you're not on anyone else you know emails mm. kind of stop and shut down so I do that does feel that's where the sort of intimacy of the work really kind of kicks off well what's interesting I suppose particularly about your work as a musician um is it's almost purely collaborative isn't it a lot of the well not purely but a lot of the time you're in a project whether that's tv film theater um mm. and so it's less like you can kind of disappear and make the music you want to make and more you do seem to have to respond to like other people needs demands deadlines production budgets production schedules um so again you've got that weird meeting point between i suppose the kid who sat in front of a piano at the beginning and just wants to write music uh, and the adult who like you know wants to be part of a collaborative process and with other human beings and how mm. um frustrating you can get when other people get involved and make you do all those things you don't want to do well it's funny because the co- uh, collaboration uh, collaborating with people is literally my favorite thing to do um creative collaborations mm. and they are actually the 
that they motivate me to write music. So that is, I find writing music kind of on my own, which is something, you know, just for myself, which is something that I've been sort of doing a bit more recently. That is very, I find that very difficult. I'm fi- I'm finding a way sort of through it to kind of find ways to inspire myself or stimulate myself in a kind of different way so that I, I do feel like I'm collaborating with myself, not, you know, not, it's not just sort of going out into a, I'm not sort of in the void. Mm. But when I work with other people, that is, that's really what, that's really what sort of what I wanted to do really from the very beginning, because I think when writing music for me is all about sort of storytelling and, um, and I, my favorite thing to do is to, is to tell those stories with other people. Well, great. Well then let's, if you're up for it, let's sort of track that back a bit and um, kind of walk through, you know, uh, where that started for you and, 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 and how that's come to this point of, you know, amazing um, success and really um, um, almost ubiquitous, you know, like everywhere I look, there's some amazing piece by Izzo Waller-Bridge doing something either on TV or on stage or a film. It's it's really thrilling. And maybe we start with that first collaboration you were talking about, which was you and the piano. Um, and I love how you described it as like your oldest relationship. Um, oh, yeah. And is that where music started for you? Was it at the piano? And, and, and when did that happen? Yeah, oh, definitely. I was, I think my parents put me in front of a piano when I was four. There's a photo of me sitting at a piano when I was four and and just sort of making sounds on it and making noise. And it just, it, it was one of those funny things that just, I connected with it instantly. I think I must have done. I don't remember exactly um, what that felt like or, you know, anything like that. But I do know that that was, um, that it was that early on. And and it just became all the way through, you know, sort of prep school. I, I was started, I was learning it and we had a little piano at home and then I was sort of learning other instruments. But the piano really, when I was in my teens, I was on a music scholarship at school, at secondary school. And so, and it was wonderful because I was sort of actively encouraged to kind of go away. You know, I could go and spend hours and hours in a practice room Um because you know that was that was the the reason you know that was what the scholarship was about, and so mm. the solitude that comes with it, I really love um and really enjoyed that from early on, and the discipline of it you know you it's really you get you the you sort of get instant gratification from um practicing, and I really love that because then you'd suddenly you know you'd improve and then you'd perform it, and that was really exciting um and then I would just take my feelings to it. So, you know, and then at school, I was playing lots of, you know, repertoire things. So the the composers that I really, really went to were kind of Rachmaninoff and um, Schubert and, and Schumann and, and then to listen to kind of Mahler and the, and the sort of really romantic composers. So it really was all feeling. Um, yes, forgive my ignorance. Um, I am uh, deeply ill-versed. Um, in, in great musicians um, or uh, anyone sort of pre-1960 really um, and I don't even know I don't even know I've claimed that as if I'm cool enough to know music from the 60s um, but like so when you say those composers and you say it's all about feeling that are they particularly known for the passion of the work or something are they particularly yeah I think so I think in a sort of uh, 
yeah, they're really, they don't hold anything back. You know, it's like there's something with the classical composers, I think. It's really interesting. Well, to me, it is like with the classical composers, sort of Mozart and Haydn, they're much more formulaic and um, the harmonies are kind of perhaps a, they feel and sound a bit more traditional and, and maybe they're a bit more predictable, I think. Um, but then once we get into sort of the, those, the romantic composers, the harmony starts becoming a bit more complex and um, and it, the form starts to kind of break a bit. And so it re- they can feel quite wild. Uh, and I, <laughs> these are my guys. Like, I really love them. <laughs> yeah. And I, when I found them, there was something I don't, they're just, I really connected and I love playing them on the piano. They, it just, um it's a good channel and then um and then i and then i start really started composing at school and started writing for kind of friends and and for me to sort of play as well never really songs interestingly that was never it was always sort of instrumental Hmm. and then um and then yeah and then went to university and and studied composition but i was but really it i wasn't um, I was always writing kind of concert hall music and really sort of atonal. We used to call it kind of squeaky gate music. You know? <laughs> what does that very- mean? <laughs> what is squeaky was- gate music? <laughs> it's sort of, um, it's not very melodic. So my poor mum, oh my goodness, <laughs> I, really, I remember it with such fondness. So basically I wrote a piece that I was really proud of actually for a trombone and a light switch. And that was, you know, and that, and sort of, and called it crayon. And I was like going through that. And I really, though, so it was really, really atonal. It was basically any kind of sounds that weren't, and actually, to be honest, I still love that, but it's more actually sort of what we call it now is sound design, I think. But what yeah. I was writing that then, it was, was sort of more textural rather than melodic. And so oh, this, taking... Sorry, is this university we're at? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, university. And um, and so I was, you know, so, you know, I'd take a, I was in an experimental band, um, <laughs> which was important. What, um, what were they called? What were you called? We were called Tangent, of course. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember who came up with that. But we would... I mean, it was actually, these were the days I, I loved it so much. We would, there were, there were six of us in the band. This is actually, I've now skipped forward to my postgrad. Yes. Um, and um, there was, it was me on the piano, but I didn't actually ever play any of the keys. I was only kind of inside the piano, sort of scrabbling around inside. And I'd put, you know, ping pong balls in the piano and just oh making sort of sounds. And then there was a trumpet player and a cellist and we had, um, electro- and a guy sort of doing live electronics and then we had a sort of video projection there but we never wrote anything pre the performances It was our thing was that it was all sort of improvised so which, which was uh, which was a uh, I don't it was very exciting for us I think <laughs> I don't know how exciting it was for the people that although my, we used to perform in sort of carpeted rooms you know with like in office rooms with sort of eight chairs and um a few people would come and see it but then we used to but then actually weirdly we got signed to... <laughs> of course tangent the next big thing 
band in the name. Yeah, of course. And then, oh, it's so lovely that well, we got signed to this contemporary music um, label uh, called. Um, uh, uh, oh my god, I can't even remember what it's called. Gabriel Prokofiev uh, runs it and started it, and um, but we used to sort of so we did a we made a, a record that actually my brother like dug it out the other day and it sort of sounds like a horror film score or something like that. It's quite sort of interesting, but I don't know how we and then we sort of were playing, you know, we were performing in churches and but the favorite bit is that we sort of be doing all of this I and mean, we were so earnest and it was so good and we were so like alive with information you know so we were kind of music and and articles and and we would go to the pub and talk about music concrete for kind of hours and drink pints that cost a pound you know and it was like those were I mean I loved those days it's so good and it's but it's interesting how they were really really important because it it meant I started writing in a way that wasn't traditional, really, um, and was really encouraged to experiment and also had, you know, I had my comrades. So we were all sort of doing it together. And and I think that's why I got really interested in sound design um, when I eventually started doing theatre. Um, I really think it broke open that um, the kind of my my imagination in that way. That's amazing. I mean, I want to see Tangent. Can we do some kind of like a reunion gig? Um, I get... sort of it, yeah. I would love it. I would love it. Um, and that's kind of interesting just to talk there about that difference because it sounds like at the moment so far, I mean, we must be in early 20s now um, yeah. in terms of your life. It's been like all music all the time. Um, so, and but I would say a great deal of success and renown it, it has come from film tv and stage so how did how did that transition begin well it's interesting I sort of was I wasn't doing I was sort of yeah writing all the music for the, for the sort of concert hall and for and for soloists and things like that and then um there were two strands really um in terms of the film stuff and the theatre stuff I started when when we were in our uh, sort of mid twenties, I think. I started doing a bit of work with um, Dry Right, which was Phoebe and Vicky's um, little theatre company. And that is that how you and I met? Did we meet through Dry Right? Yes, I think we did. I think there was a sort of um, Nabokov was a theatre company I was running at the time, and I think there was a little Nabokov Dry Right. That's right. Hook up, uh, and and that's how we met. So what happened? So I was doing um, bits and pieces. Uh, with them which was which was really fun but what I'd also done is that at the time I was doing my postgrad I had a part-time uh job with an orchestra and I set up a scheme with that orchestra to they weren't playing any kind of contemporary music from any contemporary living composers young composers really which was you know I really felt that because I wasn't having any of my music performed because there wasn't <laughs> You know, the facility no one was sort of facilitating that so I so I proposed this to this orchestra and they said sure go for it so I set up the scheme and then I invited um I got the National Gallery involved and we did this and it was a whole sort of competition and then um at the end of uh you know the final pieces were then um looked at by film composers and also and you know there was a sort of um there were there were a mix of composers they weren't all film composers but it was through that that I met a film composer and um went to go and assist him I'd never even been in a sort of 
film composer's uh, studio. But then when I was working with him, he said, you must go and do theatre. He was like, film <laughs> will make you famous, TV will make you rich, and theatre will make you good. Wow. And I think that's really true. Um, I mean, it's not. I'm yet to sort of experience the other two things. Um, <laughs> The, the money or the fame, but I do think I believe so deeply that theatre is essential. Um, I really do. I I um, I think it's so so important in terms of learning about process and your own, um, you know, and particularly about with collaborating. So then I went to go and see Matthew Scott, who at the time was the head of music at the National Theatre, and then Matthew got me sort of assisting Stephen Warbeck oh, and I mean, um, I, I mean the man I himself the man himself he's an absolute dream and he at the time was doing he was writing the music for Welcome to Thebes which was in the Olivier and I'll never forget it I will absolutely never forget it I went in um on the first day of the tech and there were there were live musicians um I can't remember who was doing the sound design but there was this one scene where this helicopter, I'd never heard anything like it. This helicopter had to kind of um, come in over the auditorium and then sort of, you know, and then sound like it was sort of landing. And it was utterly amazing. And I, and I, and the whole world of it, though, you know, there was the set design was incredible. It was really interesting seeing Stephen's process. That made me feel a lot better about my process. <laughs> uh, but it was also really interesting because. Um, that was the first time that I saw the speed at which you uh, you uh, composer works in theatre, because you know when he when the scene changes were happening, and because as we all know, you know you have no time um, really. You've got sort of like minus time as soon as you start <laughs> somehow. <laughs> so yeah. you have to. But so he was he was rewriting things kind of really really quickly and then he had his assistant who was sort of printing out the scores and running them down to the players and everything was just happening you know at the rate of knots and um that was the first time that I saw that and I really understood then why it was going to be really important to to work in theatre and I just and I was already sort of in love with the storytelling but it was then that I knew that sort of it was literally a kind of oh I've this is where I want to be this is mm. a this feels like home and um yeah it vivid was that was that experience wow. so that sort of how it started really and then I just kept on um doing kind of bits of assisting work and then but you know and then like you and I we were doing our little shows <laughs> <laughs> we were was that so was that uh, the shows that we were working on I'm trying to think probably Blink was the first one we did yeah um, I think you gave me I think you gave me my first gig. Yeah, I'm gonna, first I mean, I'm claiming that for sure. I think you, you definitely did. Um, sure that. Was when, when you win a Grammy, I want that mentioned. I feel like <laughs> I feel it's important. Like your, your name does spring to the front of my brain. <laughs> when you yeah. think Grammy, you think Murphy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I respect that. Uh, I remember that because, oh, it was so joyful. I rem- loved that show written by Phil Porter, oh, wasn't it? Another Another titan. Um, it was, yeah, 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 yeah. It was really gorgeous, and I remember, and I remember doing that, and that was what was so lovely because actually, I would say that our process has remained the same. Is that? Yeah. I mean, 
you may dis- you might disagree with that, but I feel like it is sort of quite similar. Still. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. As far as I remember, our process is me sort of blathering at you for a while, um, and then like genius coming back at me in the form of music and me going, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Definitely, definitely, definitely." I love it. That's yeah. That's pretty much how. That's what I yeah. Because what's so great about your process, which I really like, is you have ideas really early on, which is so useful. Um, which I really love and then um, so it's even before I think even with Blink you you sort of talked about how you know how you sort of what how you wanted it to feel which is something that I always find really useful I find feelings more um, more sort of I can interpret those you know in a more interesting way I think than 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 sometimes directors can be quite prescriptive about instruments and um, that's also fine but it's also uh I, I guess I guess yeah talking about feelings is a way that I like to talk about music rather than talking about it through instruments and it, it, is that your is that what is that would you describe that as your process and the, the sense like to attempt to translate feelings or to is it that you want the audience to feel those same feelings or like is there a how does that work for you? you? You read a script, you talk to the team, you get the idea of the feelings. What's your sort of next? What do you do next? Well, always I'll sort of go away for about, I don't know, a couple of days. But when I've got the, so the script is always the place really where I'll start and just read it a few times and sort of try and locate the kind of pivotal scenes the pivotal sort of um, relationship points and sort of those things to sort of really get into the soul of the play and and the journey of the characters and then what I'll try and do is start sort of sketching some ideas but also what I will be really interested in always and whatever the medium is to see some visuals I'm such a visual person and I think the design of a show you because the director and the designer have been working probably for much longer than you've you know been than the, the composer has been on board for you can tell so much from what the vision is of the director and um from the design and so or but any even kind of visual references like paintings or moods basically it's sort of like creating a kind of a mood board and then I would sort of create a little musical mood board which will be just little sketches and sounds like a little library of um sounds that I'll sort of start to either make or um build and then um and then we'll start probably I won't start writing sort of scene change music I'll just start kind of scoring what I think the the play sounds like um that was one of the things actually that Stephen Warbeck said to me right at the beginning. He was like, you've got to learn how to hear a play. And oh, wow. um, which was also so useful because, you know, it's so much about the work that you do sort of pre-rehearsals, which is just based on the script, based on any visuals that you can get, you know, your hands on. And also kind of lots and lots of talking to the director and just hanging out actually as well. I really like that. You know, you just want to get to know the personality of the person that you're working with. Um, but then also once you get into the room, it's really the actors' voices, you know, the how they sound, what the timbre of their voices is and uh, what, what they are. And because you want everything that is happening in the aesthetic of the music to complement everything that you're hearing um, in that space. 
So I find that, you know, when you've got, if, if there's an actor with a particularly low bassy voice, I'll really think about what kind of sounds they won't, they're not even for underscoring, but just sort of in terms of just how to carry, carry the feeling of that person's voice into the music through the scene change and then into the next um, scene and sort of so so really it's like you want I feel like I want to carry the fabric of the piece and the fabric of the actors in the music through through the show so so yeah I think that's that's like broadly kind of how I how I always know that I'm going to approach it and then um I tend to kind of try and get in quite early with with um with material I t- I'm really not very precious about the music that I write um, for when I'm collaborating with people because I don't think it serves what well, certainly in my experience it doesn't you know your your ego is a thing I think obviously everyone you know can everyone has a bit of a tussle with their ego um, now and again but but I think when you're collaborating with people I think it's really really important that you keep that in check and that you know that I know that the what the music is doing is supporting the vision of the director and the writer and that you know my my opinion and my my own kind of musical vision for that is 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 present and I've like voiced it and and that feels good but but also that if somebody doesn't like a cue it's not you know it's not the end of the world (laughs) (laughs) it's not going to be it's not going to be a problem um because because yeah, it's just I don't think it's a I it, for me it's a much healthier way to work, to um. To kind of to not be very precious about it because also I know that if I've had an idea, it's not like that idea then goes away forever. It will turn up probably, it just wasn't meant for that that piece. You know, it will turn up, in another way somewhere else, and that um. So that's sort of there's a comfort in that I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a great, it's, I think it's in um, Arcadia by Tom Stoppard or something who says, nothing's ever lost. You just yeah. pick it up next time round. Yeah, and exactly. It's really nice, yeah. Well, maybe then <clears throat> let's, you know, now that we're talking about process and specifics, maybe let's move on to your play crush, um, which is Wojtek. Um And I'm guessing that your play crush is Jack Thorne's version of Wojtek. Yes. That we worked on. Um, Jack. I mean, Jack, uh, just, yeah, I mean, next level, right? Absolute next level. Next level. And I think, like, as a director, when I'm working, or indeed when I've worked with you as a composer, I think we both get off on writers, right? Like, it's writers are, like, the beating heart of of the yeah. show for me. And I think Jack um, really typifies that, especially in this, in this version. I mean, so I'll just, a little recap for those uh, listening who don't know the play. Um, uh, Wojtek was written by Georg Buchner um, in about 1836 I think he's about 23 years old um, when he wrote it and he died halfway through writing it so it's this unfinished play um, about a man uh, called Wojtek um, uh, and I mean it's so hard when you get to talking about this play to like <laughs> give like a plot overview because they're sort of shards of scenes almost and even the order that they come in um, isn't clear um, so um, over the last few hundred years directors writers artists of all um, walks of life have reimagined this play and it, it, it sort of centers around a young man called Wojtek um, who is 
um, I, I mean, it's hard to explain, really. I suppose he's sort of, um, well, it's the dehumanising effects, I suppose, of the way that doctors and the military have on this young man who's in the army. It's often seen as the first working class tragedy, um, though it can also be viewed as, I suppose, a human jealousy tragedy. Um, and it's based on a real story. Uh, there's a guy called Johann Christian Wojtzeck, um, who was a Leipzig wig maker, um, and he later became a soldier. And then in 1821, in a fit of jealousy, he murdered uh, a widow with whom he'd been living. And then he was beheaded uh, for that. Um, and Buckner was inspired by that, I think, to look at like what could drive somebody to that. Um, rather than blaming the individual, looking at the society and the system, I suppose, around him in terms of, particularly in this play, the medical and the military systems um, that might uh, abuse and push someone to do such a thing. Um, but then the reason I struggle explaining it, I suppose, is because then what Jack did was just such a, a, an exciting, radical departure. He sort of turned it into this extraordinary place set in the 80s, set in Berlin, um, a uh, young British officer, you know, on the Berlin Wall. Um, and um, we, he sort of turned into a love story, really, between him and Marie. And the ultimate tragedy, of course, is that despite the fact that Wojciech is, ex- is sort of oppressed and exploited by the military these are part of and by medical science through a drug trial uh, in Jack's version of the play, as so often happens, the pain, fear, anger of that oppression, instead of going back up, to the people doing the oppression, it goes outwards to those around us, to those we most love, to those who share that oppression. And the explosion then results um, in Wojtek murdering Marie. But again, what Jack did so sensitively, I thought, was to look at, like, let's not look at the individual's culpability. Let's look at the system's culpability and how are we all complicit in that. Do you think that's a fair understanding of Jack's version of the play? Yes. And a very long one. <laughs> that was absolutely excellent. It's <laughs> so long. That was um, so good. So good to hear that because it's been such a long time since uh, we've spoken about this play, this version. Um, it was just that was really, really great to hear. Uh, to hear that. I mean, well, it, yeah. was, it was so exciting to revisit Jack's version ahead of this conversation, and yeah. and again, what Jack does so interesting, I think, in the play is. It's, it's, it's quite naturalistic drama in a way um, yeah. in the character interaction, but the POV is Wojtek. So as he starts to lose his grip on reality, the production loses its grip on reality. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I think the genius there from Jack was watching a man trying to stay sane rather than watching yeah. a man going insane is was yeah. a, a much more provocative offer. But the music world for that, I imagine was really exciting. Because I suppose on one hand we have the eighties greatest music yeah. decade of all time, um, uh, bulk claim. Uh, and yeah. on the other hand, we had the um, decreasing mental stability of our protagonist. Did those offer yeah. some interesting provocations for you? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, that really was like, that was, it was so, because I remember when you and I first had that conversation, we thought, okay, we're in the eighties. Um, let's and I remember you saying it let's let's um let's start playing around with synths and um, yes, yes. and one of us had been watching too much Stranger Things yeah. at the time 
And that might have been me. I do remember. <laughs> I do remember that. But that was extremely I mean, I was also obsessed with Stranger Things. So it was like <laughs> to me. <laughs> going into, being asked to sort of look at synths. And I hadn't really done a big, you know, a synthy score. But what was really exciting, I felt, was um because you can manipulate synths so much and they can be, you know, they're not a concrete thing. You know, it's not a, an instrument that has a sound that you instantly recognise or, um, you know, they're really bendable. And uh, and in turn, when I think about sanity and insanity and, um, and somebody being really, you know, feelings being really sort of internalised and somebody kind of really freaking out the idea of um using synths in that way was was really really interesting to me particularly as I knew that because of the journeys that what we would start with was something that could be you know quite um melodically sort of uh just aesthetically kind of palatable like we would understand the music at the beginning you know it would it would be it would have um qualities that would that wouldn't kind of necessarily be that uh sort of surprising you know because we'd sort of we're just establishing the period and we're establishing where we are um in the world and um nothing too wild but then knowing that by the end of the play all those synth sounds I would have uh just sort of really inverted them reversed them squashed them done like terrible terrible things to them to sort of <laughs> them. the the um the trauma and the internal yeah the sort of in, internal agony of Wojciech and that um because really at the end when he's really when we really experience him being in his own head and really suffocating and just in in you know a diabolical state that it was really thrilling to me to know that 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 was the that was broadly what the journey was going to be um and to do that with kind of uh with with um synth textures was going to be really exciting I knew that from the off and then also I knew that we were going to be working with Gareth Fry who is another Don an absolute he's a legend and so that was also really exciting and I remember sort of having early conversations with Gareth and then him sort of saying you know let's let's do a swarm here and I was just like <laughs> I mean everything you know so that's <laughs> I mean that that word in itself I was uh excited to sort of do that so what was fun about it is that I could at the beginning think about it um in terms of the kind of the softer things as well like you know I'm, there was quite a lot of music that was going to be used as underscore I think we decided early on that's right yeah yeah um and sort of quite romantic you know to really sort of um build that that sense of the relationship between Marie and and Wojciech um and the the intimacy and the love there and and the sort of purity of it I think um and so so it was lovely kind of really having you know that that's a really really wonderful uh musical journey that you know when just at the beginning of a process that you know you're gonna to have to go on um there was even like there was some dance in it i didn't oh, but, there was there was there was some dance in there there was definitely some dance in there hi um, polly bennett 
I, the amazing Polly Bennett, who was so brilliant on that show, and um, it was there was a tragedy, wasn't there? There was that sort of sort of mad musical movement piece that we in the end yeah. had to remove uh, from the show for reasons of my own failing and nobody else's. No, um, but I. But that I is the process, isn't it? But it was yeah. a big twenty-minute piece, and you were like, "Wow, is there and Polly and everybody been working so hard on that?" No, but see, that is a really that is a like perfect example of what you're talking about by not being precious about things because the development of that piece. And, you know, the writing of it and the staging of it and the, everything that we were all involved in and actually doing it. It was really important to the to the atmosphere of the whole show. And actually, I felt I, you know, totally agreed with you that it, you know, it had to go. But what it left was was the essence of what it was. So it wasn't. So I feel like it was an important bit of the process to go through because we had to make that because we also made it quite early on to sort of understand tonally where we were going in the show I think and then and I think actually doing that that really sort of informed a lot to do with the rest of the score as well and so losing it I don't feel like we actually lost it if you sort of mean we we lost that you know we we you know that we gained time um and things like that so that was all I mean all it was all really valuable and all really positive like not how you know it sort of disappearing but I really felt like we we kept it was an important thing to make I think that's really uh, right and that's a really interesting point the stuff you remove leaves these echoes behind that in the yeah. end almost become the heart of the show definitely because I can't even when you're writing sort of scene change music I tend to you know I overwrite at the beginning because you always you you know, for two reasons, I need to overwrite to, you know, to write something much longer than it's going to end up being because I need to find what the the music is. But also I know that it's going to be much easier to cut something down from 40 seconds to 12 seconds rather it is to write yeah. something that, you know, sort of exists as 12 seconds and suddenly needs to be 40 um, or a minute or something. So, uh, so you're, so I think, you know, you're always cutting things down, but I do think, I think you're right, even when you've got, even with scene change music, even if it's very long, you know, you, I find that I need to have these kind of very, very long pieces of music to sort of understand what the, what the, the, what the music is doing and what it's sort of, what it's, yeah, what the sort of really sort of true sound of the show is. And then, then I can make a, a six second cue that holds that energy. Yes. And, and I think that's really, Interesting that I mean that overwriting to then cut down I think is a really interesting part of the process, and it, mm. and it seems to me that what you're always chasing in your music is getting us into the characters like heart, like and 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 that's what the music seems to always do for me when when I work with you is it breaks the character open for the audience and lets you experience something beyond the dialogue and be, and you can kind of get into them, and. I found it really interesting on Voight's sake that you, the way you did, because obviously, like you said, it was really melodic, kind of quite beautiful, almost um, like a high-end uh, 80s movie synth soundtrack. Um, mm. And then I remember particularly one bit with the, um, I mean, there's so many legends on this show, by the way, if we talk about it, everyone I mentioned, I'm like, oh my God, they're literally the greatest human being on the planet. Um, but the amazing Nancy Carroll who played, oh, I mean, yeah. aren't we I all mean, obsessed with Nancy Carroll? Um but who played the officer's wife and a sort of haunting, um, almost banshee version of mm. Wojtek's mother. And there's this extraordinary bit 
where she breastfeeds Wojtek oh um, towards the end. And the sound that you and Gareth worked on at that point felt so crunchy and kind of apocalyptic and horrendous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I just wondered like, how to, to, have, to have moved from this sort of beautiful melodic synth to what I, I imagine we were probably hearing the same stuff, just crunched up and... Yeah, 100%. And how totally. did that work for you and Gareth? How did you find that sound to take us into that moment of agony? Well, I think knowing that I wasn't... So from a musical point of view, I knew sort of from a um, concept place, I knew that I didn't want to sort of start writing new music to, to, to um, you know, suddenly illustrate these these moments of horror. They had to come from the, the music that's already been written because that's exactly, you know, that's how I feel that you can then, uh, that something that, that has been sort of quite external then becomes kind of internal. Um, and so just literally took most, like a, like a few cues that I found that, you know, like there was a sort of a cue from the, it was almost like taking it from the, from the really, from the uh, pivotal kind of scene. So there was a little bit of music from Marie and uh, Wojtek's kind of love. There was a bit of music from the doctor you know, when he starts giving him the pills and everything starts sort of going sideways. Um, and then there was sort of a little bit more of kind of incidental music that I'd written and literally just smushed them together <laughs> and like layered them on top of each other. <laughs> technical. Layered them on top of each other, which I really like doing actually as an exercise anyway. Um, and then just like fucked around with it for ages. <laughs> and then... Uh, uh, sort of showed it to Gareth, played it to Gareth and said, you know, what do you think of this? And then he had this really, um, really cool idea of it, of how it should be in the space. And then, um, and then we just sort of worked together to make it, to make it as really as chilling and as awful and as a feeling, which I absolutely love doing the music. It's so (laughs) creepy when sound can, can, can do that to you, I think. And then when, what was amazing about it, which is, you know, because as soon as you see it under lights, you hear it, on, you know, mm. and on the and on the stage and things moving, you inevitably kind of want to change things, I think, sometimes. Mm. As soon as we saw Neil's design, lighting design, Gareth was instantly like, I know exactly what we should do. We should do this. It needs to come from upstage, far, far, far upstage, and then it needs to kind of come down as Nancy is walking um and um and and that was that was that was really I, I totally agree with you that was the most thrilling part of um of that kind of whole as when when everything when everything that we were all doing light staging design sound and music it really felt so sort of connected um and uh it felt like a black hole it, it was did, just yeah. it was great um yeah that was really exciting it was really exciting doing that and also you know having someone like Gareth who is so creative as well and also you know when we were in the tech we were sort of sitting next to each other and just pinging things back and you know between each other the whole time saying what do you think of this and um again like going so so fast and that's the other thing about not being precious is because you know, you can listen to something on headphones, but you need to listen to it really in the space and being able to just, you know, feel feel and feel safe enough 
to know that when you play a piece of music, it's going to go out to everyone. You know, all the actors are going to hear it for the first time. (laughs) Stage management, anyone else that's in the auditorium, uh, you know, you know, loads and loads of people and that can be quite intimidating the first time it's always quite when you play the first few um but then 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 it's total joy when you get to the point of like you know the third preview and you're in that notes session and you just there's so much going on and you're cutting everything down and playing things you know like just back to back and it's you've got 10 minutes of quiet time (laughs) and do you does that thrill you then that 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 crunch moment you love that. Yeah, it thrills me and I also absolutely, I mean, it's like killer, isn't it? Every time. <laughs> yeah. Every time. It's just like, I don't know, that's the thing about a tech is that I really have to, you know, like everybody sort of brace yourself because you know, it's the same <laughs> every single time. It is absolutely crazy. And it does, I do find it the most exciting thing because that's when everything starts to come together, yeah. that's when it becomes really thrilling and you know that all your ideas and some of them work and and um and some of them really exciting and you know instantly <laughs> i tend to know as soon as i've like literally the first few notes when i hear them in the space i kind of know if it's if it's going to go i think if it's if it's if it's not going to make it yeah. or if it's not right and yeah. then you very very you have to rewrite and rewriting in the tech is really fun as well i think <laughs> i think you mean that though in a way it's sort of because you're at your sharpest. I mean, I'm getting know. tense just talking about it. I can feel my whole yeah. body <laughs> like, up with the... It's like, <laughs> but I do, yeah, and it's funny because I always am a bit haunted after a tech. There is that, <laughs> but it is also my favourite part of the process. So, you know, I'm I'm always hungry for it again. And... But it is killing takes me about a week to recover yeah i mean it's a yeah i mean i'm a year easy yeah. to recover from good tech um and one thing we haven't had a chance to talk about yet i suppose talking about tech as well is tom scott's absolutely extraordinary design yeah. and um i mean really mind-blowing yeah. bit of design so that was, yeah it was that was huge seeing seeing that seeing what um you guys had sort of um chosen for that and, and and the reasons why because it's interesting i think because in the original there weren't any scene changes it was sort of it performed in the round the first time void sec was mm. performed. and then which i've which i understood you know about because there is a fluidity that i think is really um important in telling of the story and so what was really exciting about tom's design is that we didn't have these conventional scene changes. We just had these really kind of imposing, uh, what would you call them? They're block. Yeah, block walls, walls I suppose. Uh, there were 25 of them, as I recall. Um, and they were individually automated. So they could all move uh, like a jigsaw mm. puzzle, really. Mm. Um, but they were like, um, they were like the walls behind plasterboard, you know, it was like, it was the frame of walls and the sort of skeleton of walls. And, uh, but they're moving. So beautifully. Yeah. They danced really. And they, they created as well this fluidity. Like it really felt like the it really contributed to the breakdown of his uh of 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 his mm. I think. And then what was so exciting, I remember when we were having those early conversations about how the music um would relate, uh, how it could, they would connect to each block. And I remember us having this really early idea. I think maybe you, Maybe it was, I think it was your idea when you said, if a sound moves with a wall 
and then and then another sound moves with the with a another wall when it goes up and then that creates a harmony then you can actually create this kind of um spectral effect with the music and the walls kind of going at the same time and i thought that was so brilliant and i think we sort of we were going to have a speaker in each wall that's right we did lots. Yeah. I mean, again, that was Gareth's yeah. brilliance on there, sort of speakers everywhere yeah. you could imagine. That was actually, mm-hmm. I wish I could claim um, that idea. That's Tom Scott's brilliant idea, um, wow. which was amazing, though, I think, him as a designer and interesting about how yeah. you as a composer react to the design, about how he was, you know, he had to think sonically when he was designing. Mm-hmm. He was like, you, you'll need these things to make this design work sonically. So yeah. Really and he, I, yeah, it was really, really... It was really exciting, and then and knowing um, and knowing that the music then was being was sort of was again it's so connected to the design. I really think it, it is um, it's a real gift when you've got that uh, you know because usually the music you want it to sort of be doing what that you know if there's a revolve you know you kind of you want the music to move in the same way that the um, that the set is i think in the scene changes and so and so that was something i'd never done before that that they would be sort of isolated sounds and then all sort of coming together um that was brilliant yeah yeah it's 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 amazing teams that think like that is that interconnected about all the disciplines yeah. uh, light sound design, you know when it's all connected it, it creates a really magical thing and i think again all that comes back to that script you know the way jack wrote it was a sort of uh, anyone out there who hasn't had a chance to read Jack's script, I really do recommend you ordering it. It's, it's an mm. amazing bit of writing and um, a sort of real total theatre bit of writing. You know, Jack's really thinking about every element that the theatre can do. And I think that was really inspiring as a creative team. Yeah, it really was. It really was. I remember even like going back to when you first, you know, the first bits of uh, what you respond to. And I remember there was that car park scene. There was a car park scene. Should I feel a bit funny about underscoring? It's got it's such a delicate thing. It doesn't always um, it doesn't always work because of the nature of you know live theatre. Um, mm. It it feels kind of if you're you to have something that's really fixed. Um, you know it, it, it can it, you know it's tricky. Um, but I remember we did so often like with underscoring. You know you try and you kind of you still want to be led by the actor really so you might put in cues that kind of move the music on a bit but otherwise they sort of get into a kind of I don't know it, they can sort of feel like they're sort of fighting a rhythm that mm. they don't want to fight sometimes but there was that really beautiful um scene that Jack had written and that was the uh between Marie and Wojciech and it was when they were on top of this car park and it was a long scene and so what was great about that is that writing a bit of underscore for that it was about it ended up being a kind of I think I wrote six minutes of music at the beginning that which then became three and then really I think it was I can't remember which week but it was really early we're still sitting around the table I think yeah yeah it was very early yeah played it um and that was that was really that was really wonderful it's always good getting stuff in the room early I think as well as early as possible yeah, and it shapes if, everything, doesn't it? it like you yeah. know, again, and you can as soon as everyone hears the music, if it's right, everyone knows the tone. It's just like instantly yeah. goes, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. Yeah, and then it's really it's so oh, it's so exciting. I can't wait till we're all back in theaters again. <laughs> and make it. I mean, really, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, Izzo, thank you so much um, for coming on and having a chat. Um, great to hear everything about your process and about how you got into everything. And I just wonder as a little finisher, whether you've got any um, any bits of content you can recommend to listeners out there, for, you know, if they're just looking for something a bit fun, any bits of music you've been listening to, any TV shows you've been watching, any books you've been reading, anything you think, oh, like I've just been revisiting The Wire. and um, it's- Oh, have you? Uh, I've never seen Oh my god! If you haven't seen the wire, anybody who hasn't seen the wire, uh, press turn everything off in your life and just sit down and watch all five series of the wire because it's absolutely brilliant. brilliant. I tell you, I've just started watching the Sopranos, which I've oh, never, yes, I've never watched that, and that is that is it is amazing. It is absolutely amazing. So I'm doing that, and I'm also reading um, a lot of Anne Carson at the moment. Oh, nice, um, uh, and uh, absolutely love her well it's actually yeah she's 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 um I'm such a classics kind of nerd and um she really is the best so I would recommend I would recommend anything by Anne Carson nice so you're saying Anne Carson and the Sopranos that's a good mix (laughs) (laughs) amazing well thank you so much Izzo thanks Joe sending you much love bye The brilliant Izzo there, everybody. I loved hearing about theatre from a composer's perspective. The way she thinks about character and translates that into music is really magical. Thanks so much for listening and continuing to support both the Sherman Theatre and the Old Vic. We really appreciate it. Until next time, go gently and go safely. The Old Vic would like to thank principal partner Royal Bank of Canada and the T.S. Eliot Estate for their support. Sherman Theatre would like to thank the Arts Council Wales and everybody who has supported us through this difficult time.